hello, hello. Welcome one and welcome all to episode number 111 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer, and you can find the show, as you always can, via your favorite podcast outlet. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know the drill. Yes, episode 111, a nice, uh, not even number, but a nice number with the same three digits. I'm sure there's a specific name for that that I may have known at one point in my life, but that knowledge, just like a lot of other things that I used to know, uh, has somehow escaped me. So, um... We have a lot to talk about on this week's show. Going to center the show around the return of baseball season. That's right. Baseball is back. And you don't realize how much you miss baseball until opening day. That seems to be the case for me every year. This one is no different. More than anything, I love what baseball symbolizes. It symbolizes sunnier days, nice days, etc. Longer days. So that's all well and good. We're happy baseball is back. But I do want to start off the show this week with another chapter to the Leah Thomas story, or maybe another twist, I guess, is the better way to phrase this. Uh, Arsid Ziegler published a really interesting piece on Outsports this week detailing about how the debate around Leah Thomas continues on. And as we talked about on the show last week, it is going to uh, explode even more in the coming months, the debate around trans athletes given British cyclist Emily Bridges and what's going on over there. So uh, this is only going to heat up in the coming weeks, but I do want to go to Sid's piece on Leah Thomas and about her performance at the NCAA championships. So, you know, Leah Thomas was at the NCAA championships last month and her performance, when you look at it in totality, was mixed. Uh, She won the 500 free women's national title. So that was great for her, but she also struggled in some events. Officially, she finished fifth in the 200 free and then finished last in the 100 free final, again at the championships last month. And since then, and really this has been going on all season long, advocates for broader inclusion of trans athletes in women's sports have used Thomas's shortcomings, fifth place in the 200 free, last in the 100 free, uh, to prove their points that trans athletes do not always dominate. Look, Leah Thomas, all the hoopla around her, fifth place finish, last place finish in two of her championship races. At the same time, her detractors used her successes, the championship and the 500 free, to prop up their point that it is unfair that Leah Thomas and other trans athletes compete with women, and it was really that way all season long. But Sid dug a little deeper than the noise and looked at her actual times and how they compared to how she raced throughout the season, and the findings are pretty interesting. Thomas's 200-yard free final time at the NCAAs was 1.31 seconds slower than her prelim time hours earlier, and her 100 free final time was 0.81 seconds slower than the prelims, which again just happened hours before the championship races. So what's going on there? And again, Thomas was great in the pool really all year long. Well, Outsports, meaning Sid, spoke with two swimming coaches who called the sore results in Thomas's 100 and 200 free finals rare and unusual. So that's really interesting. 
These two slower attempts for Leah Thomas. Two coaches say they are, quote, rare and unusual. So what's going on here? What's the real story? Again, it breaks down into which side of the debate you fall on. Some who want trans athletes out of women's swimming and out of women's sports will say Thomas slowed her times intentionally to record losses as evidence that trans women don't actually dominate women's sports. Conversely, those who are proponents of trans inclusion in women's sports will say that there is nothing nefarious or rare or unusual going on. Leah Thomas just got tired after a long day, after a long season. And, of course, we'll never know the true answer. I will say this, and Sid hammers this in his article, it would be a real tragedy if Leah Thomas, at the height of her athletic career, felt compelled to swim slower at the NCAA championships as a way to alleviate the pressure. I mean, that would be absolutely tragic. She's having an incredible season in the pool, She's garnering all of these, you know, all these feats, all these accomplishments. And then in two of the biggest races of her life, she feels compelled to swim slower to turn down the noise. That would be awful. And that would and that would be, I think, the biggest sign of all that this debate has just been all wrong from the start. And this is something that we've hammered on the show time and time again. The issue here should not be with Leah Thomas, but rather the NCAA and other athletic organizations that set their own trans policies. Nobody, even Thomas's harshest detractors, claim that she's skirting the rules. She followed the NCAA rules for trans participation. Prior to the season, those were, you had to be on hormone therapy for at least a year. Leah Thomas was. The NCAA has since changed its trans inclusion requirements rather haphazardly, as again, a way to turn down the noise. It wound up not appeasing anybody, as most of these public relations moves uh, you know, always do. They never work out. People can see right through them, and that was the case here. So the NCAA really abdicated its responsibility to lead on this issue, and equally as important and equally as shameful, they abdicated their responsibility to be a voice on this issue, to say Leah Thomas is not cheating and here is why, to actually explain to the public what their trans inclusion policy means, the science that backs it up, etc. That is where the NCAA should have stepped in. And the NCAA should have been stepping in as well to take the heat off of Leah Thomas. This was not her fault. She was just swimming. And as I said, swimming within the rules. So, The mystery continues, we'll never find out, but those are a couple of interesting anomalies from her championship times, and again, if you want to be really cynical and say Leah Thomas swam slower in some of those races, then that would be the ultimate tragedy, that an athlete felt compelled to lose, to intentionally lose due to media pressure, due to pressure from detractors, that would just be really, really sad. So that's the latest on Leah Thomas. Now I move to a bit of a less controversial topic, and that is the start of Major League Baseball season. That's right. Baseball season is here. Red Sox had their opening day yesterday, Friday, against the Yankees. And our Ken Schultz, if I may do a cheap plug here, wrote an excellent LGBTQ MLB season preview 
That's live on OutSports. You can check it out. He went through all 30 Major League Baseball teams and uh, connected their their relationship with the LGBTQ community. Uh, really, really incredible stuff. Um, so MLB, you know, I think really does have a special relationship with LGBTQ fans. You go through the history, the Dodgers hosted the first gay night in sports, to our knowledge, in 2000. The Cubs followed with Out at Wrigley in 2001. And now today, all but two MLB teams have held official Pride Nights. Here in my hometown of Boston, the Red Sox started their Pride Night in 2013, and they continue it every year, right along with Boston Pride, Boston Pride Week in mid-June. It's always a hallmark event of my summer, and I think it's a hallmark event of many of, the, of many LGBTQ people here in Boston, a big part of the Pride celebrations. And, you know, yeah, I try to dig into why. You know, why do I think that? Because the Celtics hold a Pride night. The Bruins hold some sort of Pride night. You know, why You know why does the Red Sox Pride night seem to resonate more than those teams? And why do baseball Pride nights in general really seem to resonate more than teams in basketball, hockey? Unfortunately, we haven't seen a lot of that in the NFL yet, though hopefully we are getting there. And I think it really comes down to the fact that baseball teams are really part of their communities more than other pro sports, you know? And I think it has something to do with the fact that the baseball season is six months long, April through September, October if you make the playoffs. It happens every single night. It's always on in the background. I mean, if, if you really... It's like this. It's like the background of the summer. Not to get too cheesy, but in a lot of ways, it is. If you go out to any restaurant bar for the next six months in Boston, the Red Sox will be on. And I'm sure that's the case for many cities across the country. The baseball team is on. So I think a lot of it is because the baseball teams are just really embedded in their communities. Un, you know, not more so than other teams. And that's not saying that basketball teams, NHL teams don't do work in the community. They do great work in the community, but it's more about just, you know, that feeling that they really kind of capture the heartbeat of the city in a way. I think that's especially true where I live in Boston. So I think it means something more when a baseball team reaches out to the LGBTQ community because it really feels like the city at large is reaching out to the LGBTQ community. And I also think the fact that baseball season happens in the summertime means a lot too. And teams are actually playing games during June, Pride Month. So, I mean, what's more appropriate than holding a Pride night during Pride Month? Nothing. So that, I think, is another reason. You know, you know the Occam's Razor theory that oftentimes the most obvious answer is the right answer? Well, I think that goes here. June is Pride Month. Baseball's played during June. That's a great time to have these Pride Nights and boom. But whatever the case, uh, Major League Baseball, despite its conservative culture, I mean, this is a this is a league that has resisted change at pretty much every point. There, of course, is still no out uh, player in Major League Baseball. The culture with the players remains very conservative. You have a lot of uh, folks from the South and more rural parts of the country. You have a lot of uh, people from the Caribbean and more Latin countries with conservative uh, with conservative societies and conservative religious cultures. So you have that just juxtaposition of a more conservative culture, more conservative players than you may find in the other pro sports. But you also have 
a lot of this outreach, that baseball's been well ahead of the curve. They hired Billy Bean years ago to be the head of inclusion. He does great work. I've had the privilege of speaking with him a few times in my two plus years at Outsports. Uh, I bought the Billy Bean autobiography as a kid going the other way. Uh, I thought it was about then Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean, because I was big on Moneyball. But regardless, what does that matter, right? Uh, So I do think there is something special about baseball and LGBTQ fans. And I think, uh, I, I think that, I think that we see it this year with a lot of the excitement that you see in our circles with the start of the baseball season. So baseball is here. It means happier days are indeed ahead. And by happier days, at least I mean warmer days. And the other point I want to bring up before we log off this week is a story that I wrote. That's right. I'm going to pump, I'm going to pump my own tires here. I deserve it. Damn it. As a host of this show, I should do that for myself every once in a while. Davis Atkin is a rising field hockey star in Australia. He's on the under-21s team over there, which is their junior national team. He's on pace, on track to compete for a spot on the national team. And I don't usually talk field hockey, but I'm going to now because he has a really super cool story So Davis Atkin, as I mentioned, is a rising young star in the world of field hockey in Australia on track to compete for the national team. And when he's not on the pitch, he's a makeup enthusiast. He has a very popular Instagram account with nearly 12,000 followers. And every photo has Davis putting on all sorts of makeup, bringing his followers through his skincare routine. And I had the pleasure of speaking with him for a story this week. And I absolutely love it. And I love it because A... It's a reminder of the best thing about working for Outsports, in my opinion, and that's all the cool people that I get to meet. And the other thing is, it really shows just the the changing nature of sports. You know, here's a kid in Davis Atkin who's just turned 21 a couple months ago, and he's just coming out publicly as a, as a field hockey player, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, and... He admits to me that he still doesn't really quite know how to navigate all of that, but yet he feels really comfortable showing himself to the world in this fashion. Anybody can go on his Instagram account and look at all these makeup photos, and I don't mean to be derogatory, but when you look at a guy putting on all sorts of makeup, uh, you know, (laughs) you can kind of guess where he's going in terms of his sexual orientation, and Davis is totally fine with that, and he is living, he's learning to embrace that juxtaposition of him as more like the mask field hockey star and a guy who loves to wear makeup and have a great skincare routine and show people all that and model. And he gets products sent to him, which is super cool. He's like a makeup content creator. He started watching videos on YouTube when he was 15 and hasn't stopped since. So it's just, you know, it's because because I, I do find that. The, the gay sports culture can sometimes be, I think it certainly was this way historically, a bit more conservative than other, than other areas of gay life, if you will, right? I mean, I look at my flag football league as a good example. It's just starting up again this weekend, so it's, so it's at the top of my mind. Uh, you know, I'm 29, but you know, a lot of guys in the league who are in their 30s, sometimes early 40s, some of them, you know, you do notice that you know, are maybe a little more straight acting in terms of what they wear, how they act, how they say it. And certainly if I look at photos from 
Flag football circa 2008, flag football circa 2010, 2012. I mean, we're not talking a million years ago, but even if you look back at some of those old photos, you see a very straight acting crew. And, you know, sports are still, I think, have a lot of that with them. But you see a little bit less of that now. You know, I think that if you were to show up, for example, at a party for Pride Month, let's say, since we talked about it with baseball, if you show up to a Pride Month party and you're not wearing like five inch inseams or, you know, cute jeans, it's like you feel out of place. And I don't think it was necessarily always that way. I think that my generation and certainly the generation below me, like Davis, uh, are really changing a lot of these norms and embracing their femininity and saying I have multiple sides. Yes, I have this really athletic, more traditionally hetero side of me on the field or on the pitch or on the ice or the court or wherever you play. But off of it, yeah, I embrace this effeminate part of my personality. And and that's cool. And that's what I do. And I'm not hiding it. I mean, Davis is not putting on this makeup in private. He's putting it on, taking pictures, and posting it on Instagram for the world to see. So I think that just was a really cool reminder of how far we've come in the world of sports in terms of culture, in terms of acceptance, in terms of what is and isn't in bounds. And a lot more is in play now than it once was. So super cool story, super cool kid. And super cool that we uh, got to chat again this week. Another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast, episode 111. As always, you can feel free to find me on Twitter. My username is at AlexRemer1. That again is at AlexRemer1. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next on Saturday.